0: Hello, welcome to TanachStudy.com. I'm Yael Ziegler, and today we'll be doing our final installment in Parshat Bo. This is our sixth shiur on Parshat Bo. We're going to begin in Yud Bet, Pasuk Yud Gimel. This seems to be somewhat of an addendum to the story of uh, what takes place on the evening of Yudalad Nisan, the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, when we conclude that story, which we spoke about in the last in our previous shiur, we have this sort of ceremonious conclusion where we talk about the Lil Shimurim, the night of vigilance, the night of God's watching, and um, and and the description of Am Yisrael actually leaving Egypt. Um, and so it comes as somewhat as of a surprise that beginning in pasuk Mem Gimel, God gives Moshe and Aaron the statutes. Uh, that are connected to the eating of the Korban Pesach, particularly we'll see the connection between Korban Pesach and Brit Milah, and being circumcised, and also the question as to who is allowed to eat from the Korban Pesach and who is not. Um, Now, many of the Mepharshim have noted that this section, which begins in Pasuk Mem Gimel and concludes with another ceremonious kind of Pasuk that recalls very much the previous ceremonious Pasukim, it also contains the words, it was at the strength of the day, at the height of that day, Am uh, Yisrael leave Egypt. So there's a sense almost that we're um, that we're almost going back to an ending uh, after this section where we talk about some of the laws of Pesach. Many of the Mefarshim note that this section seems to be out of place. If in fact it is giving us added rules for the eating of the Pesach and that is particularly the law that everybody has to be circumcised before they can partake in the eating of this uh, paschal offering, Um, then really this section should have appeared previously. Uh, Rashi notes this, and many of the Mepharshi, many of the biblical commentators, agree that in fact these statutes, these laws, must have been given previously, but not everybody agrees. Everyone addresses the issue, but not everybody agrees. For example, the Ibn Ezra says no. In fact, these laws are do appear in the proper place. They are given later, after Am Yisrael actually have left Egypt, and that's because these laws really are only laws that apply to future generations. And of course, note that these laws really do deal with the question of who is part of the household, who is part of Amisrael enough to be able to participate in the eating of the Korban Pesach, perhaps this is not a topic that was particularly applicable when they were in Egypt, when there was really pretty much nobody necessarily who wanted to join them in the bringing of the Korban Pesach and the eating of it that night. So the Ebenezer says, well, this is really only for future generations. Um, the Abar suggests that, in fact, this is a new topic because it only really came up since they have been joined by the Erev Rav. If you remember in the previous section, we saw that as Amisrael are leaving Egypt, this group, this mixed multitude, seems to sort of join them. They're called the Erev Rav, the mixed multitude. And the Barbanel says, well, suddenly this becomes a topic. Um, Can this mixed multitude be considered properly part of Amisrael um, enough to eat the the Korban Pesach, the Paschal offering, the next time that they eat it. And so, once again, the Yabar like the Ibn Ezra, does believe that this section is in its proper place. Even for those people who believe that this section really was given to Am Yisrael earlier, before they brought the Korban Pesach, they have to explain why it's in this place. And, for example, the Ramban says that it's placed here because God uh, wanted to juxtapose the taking Am Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, their obedience to Moshe um, that occurs in the middle of Parakid Okay, so now let's turn our attention now to this section, whether it's in place or out of place. Note that it does seem to represent its own particular section. Let's look at what it's talking about here. And God said to Moshe and to Aaron, these are the laws of the Pasach, of the Paschal offering. Every alien, every son of, a, of an alien, of a foreigner, shall not eat from it. Uh, who is this Ben Nechar? Well, there seems to be uh, several different possibilities as to who he is. In Bereshit Yud Zayin, which is actually the mitzvah that is given to Abraham to circumcise, the Ben Nechar is described as Asher lo Echa, suggests, of course, that the ben nechar is not an Israelite; he's not part of the um, of, of the children of Israel. Um, Chazal suggests, and Rashi brings this; the Targum also suggests this that that the ben nechar could be referring to someone who is in fact uh, Jewish, who is in fact an Israelite, but he's an apostate. In other words, nit nakru asav. His ways are foreign. He does not, he rejects God. He does not accept service of God. He cannot eat from the Korban Pesach. Okay, so the Ben Nechar can't eat from the Korban Pesach. But any servant, a person who is bought with money, he should be circumcised and then he can eat. lo a dweller and a renter, he should not eat from it. Bebait echad yachel, lo habait, min habasar the etzem lo tishbiru It shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not take out of the house any of the meat outside, and no bone shall be broken of it. So here again, I think we have the focus on the house. This is uh, some of the things here seem to be repeated a bit from earlier, certainly from the command that God gave to Moshe and Aaron at the beginning of the chapter, and yet at the same time here perhaps uh, this is the defining feature of this section as well, which is that who is permitted to eat from the Korban Pesach? Well, there seem to be two criteria. One is that he has to have uh, circumcision, he has to have milah, and the other is that he has to be considered part of this household. Part of the bite. The bite is very much a focus here, um, and therefore, of course, meat can't be taken out of the house. We've noted several reasons for that previously, and so we won't go over it here. Um, this idea that a bone cannot be broken from it, that seems to be a new idea. Um, several The Farshim go in several different ways with this. The, the barbinel talks about the respect for the Korban, others, such as the Rabag and Chizkuni, talk about um, the kind of dignity. Um, that now has to accompany Am their in their in their, uh, in their new um, role as a nation. Uh, they talk about the idea of not breaking bones as an attempt to make sure that this meal is a dignified meal, it's not a greedy meal, that the habits that accompany Am Yisrael during this meal, which turns them from slaves into free people, make it very clear that they are in fact not eating like slaves in a rush with all sorts of undignified habits, and that takes us to our next pasuk, Pasuk Mem Zayin, Kol Adat Yisrael yasu ya Oto, all of the community of Israel shall do this. Um, so we, we noted that the beginning of the chapter starts with Kol Adat Yisrael, and that this chapter is really about the making of a community, which, which seems to surround uh, the, the eating of this Korban Pesach. Um Pasuk Mamchet goes back to the question of who can eat from the Pesach. We already saw the Ben Nechar cannot eat from the Pesach. However, the Eved, the Ish, who is Miknat Kaset, the one who is um, who, who seems to be living with him in the house, as long as he is circumcised, he can eat from the Korban Pesach. We've already spoken a little bit about the connection between milah and Korban Pesach, both the Halachic uh, connection and perhaps also the idea of the connection and we have this here as well look in pasukim chet vechi yagor itcha ger veasa pesach ladonai donai lo kol zahar ve azikrav la soto vehaya keizrach eretz vechol arel lo yochal bo and when a stranger dwells with you and he makes a pesach to god You should circumcise uh, for him all of the males, and then he can come close to bring it, and he can uh, draw near to bring it, and he will be like all of the citizens of the land. But anyone who is not circumcised cannot eat from it. There shall be one law for the citizen and for the stranger who dwells amongst you. Um, Rashi talks here about the ger being the convert. Um, However we understand it, I think that this section here is clearly talking about the nature of inclusion, right? That Am El, now that they're becoming a community, we have to define uh, who can be part of this community. And of course, what seems to be here is that Certainly in order to be part of the community that is, that is uh, considering itself to be a community in terms of their service of God that is coming together. Uh, to eat this Pesach together, to serve God together, there has to be also circumcision that enables them to join this community. Um, in fact, Rashi raises the possibility only to reject it, but it's an interesting possibility and it's based on uh, a reading of pasuk Memchet that perhaps part of the process of conversion is that every convert should bring a Korban Pesach on the day of his conversion. He rejects this possibility, but again, that this does seem to be part of the process of defining yourself as part of the Jewish people. I think that's why uh, that possibility seems to come up here. In any case, at the end of this section, we're told they So again, we have that sort of harmonious ending. All of the children of Israel did whatever God commanded Moshe and Aharon. So they did. This reminds us very strongly of Pasuk Kafchet. And again, we have this sense that we're moving towards some sort of very um, ideal beginning. We now turn to our concluding Pasuk, which is also going to remind us of the previous concluding Pasuk, which we had back in Pasuk uh, uh, Mem and Mem Aleph. Here we're told by, he be'etsem hayom haze, and it was in the midst of that day, at the strength of that day, et b'nei God took the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, With all of their hosts. Now there is, I think, one very distinctive difference in this pasuk and in the previous pasuk, where here it is very clear that God took the people out of Egypt, whereas previously we had a little bit of um, a little bit of a question on that. In pasuk mem aleph we saw yatsu kol tseva they went out. And in Psukim prior to that, we actually saw that they didn't seem to go out at all, but rather Gorshumi Mitzrayim, they were expelled from Egypt. There does seem to be a little bit of tension or complexity surrounding this issue. Did they go, go out on their own? Did they go out enthusiastically on their own? Is this some sort of very heightened Theological moment, or are they simply being rushed out because of the fear of the Egyptians? There's another question, I think, that accompanies this question, which also arises in this Pasuk, Be'etsem Hayom he seems to suggest that they go out in the middle of the day. Um, this is, I think, pretty much common knowledge. This is the way we usually understand the story of the exodus from Egypt. But if you look previously, in the whole description of makat b'chorot, of the plague of the firstborn, we have the word layla that is repeated over and over. Bechati Halaila, layla paro layla, right, at the night. And they called him Moshe and Aaron layla. And, you know, even the description of Lil shimurim, the, the night of vigilance, Yisrael, to take them out of Egypt, there does seem to be, I think, a certain tension as to whether or not They go out in the night or in the day. The same kind of question arises in Devarim, Perak, Tetzayan. and perhaps once again we have a certain kind of sense that we're being given two different aspects of the Exodus from Egypt. On the one hand, the Exodus has this sort of moral aspect in which el's enslavement was morally problematic and the goal is just to get them out quickly urgently, in the middle of the night, by frightening the Egyptians into expelling them. But there is, of course, also a positive component to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, a theological, historical kind of component, and in this we see that there is a very clear and measured exodus with the awareness of the religious implications of this moment, it's unhurried, it's ceremonious, it's dignified, it's v'hi be'etzem hayom hazeh, it's hotzi Hashem, b'nei So this, I think, really um, uh, explains the tension. The tension, in, in my opinion, is actually deliberate. Now let's turn our attention to Parachid Gimel, to the conclusion of this chapter, where once again we're going to experience... Mitzvot. We're going to be given mitzvot that are there, that commandments that are meant to commemorate the exodus from Egypt. And God spoke to Moshe, saying, "Sanctify for me every firstborn, the first one that comes out of the womb from among the children of Israel." person, whether man or beast, lihu. He is for me. Uh, note the phrase here, ba'adam uva We've been noting that there are many phrases here that accompany us into this period of freedom that recall the um, that recall the story of the plagues. Ba'adam uva That's a phrase that we see both in makat uh, kinim and in makat shechin. So once again, we have sort of uh, those kinds of phrases coming into the story of the Exodus. But here we have a specific law, which is certainly connected to the story of Itziat Mitzrayim. First and foremost, because of its connection, of course, to Makat B'chorot, which we're going to see later on in Pasuk Tetevav, and that is that, of course, we have this sense that Am Yisrael could have died in Makat B'chorot, the Chorot of Am Yisrael, and that it's only because of uh, God giving Am al a special uh, dispensation or a special way to uh, avoid being swept up into that plague that in fact these Bechorot do not die in the plague and we commemorate that idea by recalling that really all of the plagues, all of the Bechorot belong to God. It could have been um, claimed by God and so we have this uh, commemoration of Am al being saved by God in that plague by dedicating all of the firstborn to God, um, uh, the other point that I think that has to be made here about the connection between this particular mitzvah of Kidush habchor the consecration of the firstborn and the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is that really the idea of um, of consecrating the firstborn to God goes along with many other ideas in which the first of any any anything is is uh, dedicated to God, whether it's first fruit, first grains, first animals, and in our situation, first sons. Um, This dedication really demonstrates that we believe that everything rightly belongs to God. And yet, of course, uh, God has allowed us to use the things in this world. But in order to convey both our gratitude and our recognition that, in fact, everything belongs to God, we consecrate the first part of everything to God. And the final point that I make about this uh, consecration of the Bihar is that it seems to be a symbol of God's relationship to Am Yisrael, in which all of Am Yisrael is considered to be Bino Bechorot Shal Hashem, the firstborn son of God, the firstborn child of God. And that actually is, it seems to also form a frame for our story, which opened with God uh, sending Moshe down to Mitzrayim, down to Egypt, and, and instructing him to say to Pharaoh, b'ni b'chori Israel, it is my firstborn child. And so here we it seems to be rather fitting that we commemorate the uh, the, the events of the Exodus by uh, consecrating all of our b'chorot, all of our firstborn children to God. And now we now turn our attention, though, to a different way in which we commemorate we memorialize the events of your Mitzrayim. Pasuk BePasuk Gimel Yom Moshe El Ha'am zachor et hayom hazeh sheyitzata Mitzrayim mibeit avadim ki bechozek yad hutsi Adonai itchem mizeh biloya chamelts And God and Moshe said to the people remember this day that you have left Egypt from the house of slavery because with a, with a strong hand, God took you out of this, and you should not eat leavened bread. right? So here we have the return to the um, mitzvah, to the commemoration of not eating chametz, which we spoke about in a previous shiur when we first encountered it um, in Perak Yudbet. Here we have the mitzvah of Zachor, the mitzvah of Zikaron. This is uh, the mitzvah to create a national memory. We have that also. It's similar to Shabbat, this, um, this command to remember a particular day. And we're told to remember this day that you left Egypt from the house of slavery. This is the first time that we've actually seen that phrase Beit Avadim, the house of slavery, Uh, Beit Avadim seems to refer to a house where people exist in a state of slavery. That is the description of Egypt. We're going to see this description used of Egypt later on in Sefer Devarim. The Beit Avadim is a term really used only for Egypt, right, um, in in the Tanakh, and rather frequently in later books, uh, not just Devarim, but later books as well. So we're told that God took us out of this house of slavery, this place where human beings live in this existential state of slavery, and therefore we should not eat leaven in order to commemorate this pasuk. dalid, Hayom atem yotzeim bechodesh Uh, Today, you are leaving in the month of the budding, in the month of spring. Rashi talks here about the great chesed, the great kindness that God did by taking Am Yisrael out in the season. Again, though, we have to note that it's the season of sprouting, the season of new beginnings, the season that marks, in many ways, um, the idea of taking Am Yisrael out of Mitzrayim to plant a new seed in the world to create a new creation. And it will be when God brings you to the land of the Kanani and the Khiti and the Amori and the Khivi and the Yevusi that God has promised your forefathers to give to you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and you should... Uh, do this service in this month and so we see once again what we saw it at the burning bush and that is that the ultimate goal is not simply to take them out of Egypt but to take them into this land that is a land flowing with milk and honey so that there they can use this land as a place to serve God in this month once again specifically the month of the budding the month that everything begins to sprout and now we uh, in Pasuk Vav we return to this idea of chametz and matzah Shiva at Yamim Tochal Matsot Uvayom Hashvi Hag Ladonai. For seven days you shall eat matzot, and on the seventh day shall be a holiday for God. Matsotya et Shiva Atyamim Veloyera Elacha Chamates Veloyera Elicha Sear Bechol Gvulecha. You shall eat Matsot unleavened bread for seven days, and you shall not see any leavened bread, and you not you shall not see any leavening in all of your borders, that phrase also brings us back to some of the Makot. Again, we said many of the phrases that arise throughout the story of the geulah seem to draw from the story of the Makot. Uh, the Yabar here notes that there are three zichro Note that there are three ways in which we commemorate the story of going out from Egypt, each of them involves, as we're going to see in Pasukhet, uh, a, a conversation with the children. Look in Pasukhet, vihad chabayomahu, and you shall tell your child on this day, Baavorze as li bitseti mimitsraim. For this God has um, has has done all of this for me um, by taking me out of Egypt. Uh, the Yabbar says three times we are told to commemorate something, and we're told to pass it on to our children. One is here with chametz and matzah. Another is prior, um, previously, what we saw with korban and pesach, and the third is going to be what we're going to see in the continuation here in the mitzvah of consecrating the firstborn. Uh, the Yabbar says that each of these things is meant to commemorate a different aspect of Etiat Mitzrayim. Here with the Chameitz and Matzah, the Abarbanel suggests that it is meant to commemorate the fact that we leave in a rushed state, that God is able to take us out in this sort of immediacy of the moment, uh, where He just sort of swoops us out of Egypt. Um, in any case, once again, here we see the importance of passing on this experience from generation to generation. Uh, there's many different understandings of the words, ba'avurze. For what is, is he saying to his child? For this, God took me out of Egypt. Rashi suggests, so that I shall fulfill the mitzvot of, specifically, Pesach, Matzah, Maror. The Ibn Ezra says a little bit more, uh, adheres a little bit more closely to the pshat specifically so that, so that I should keep the mitzvah of Chameitz and Matzah. For that purpose, God took me out of Egypt. In any case, I think both of them agree that the purpose of taking Amistad out of Egypt that we are telling our children is so that we can serve God, so that we can do mitzvot. um, Pasuk Tet then offers another way in which to commemorate this great event. And this shall be for you a sign upon your hand. And a commemoration between your eyes, so that this shall be the instruction of God in your mouth. For with a great, uh, a strong hand, God took you out of Egypt. Veshamarta etachukazot, and you shall keep this statute in her in its time in her time yamim yamima from year to year. This description of the sign upon the hand and the commemoration between the eyes. This, of course, is a reference to the mitzvah of tefillin, which is worn on the arm, which is also worn uh, between the eyes on the forehead. Many have discussed the importance of having a sign both on the arm and between the eyes. Of course, that the the uh, between uh, on the arms suggests actions between the eyes suggests. Your brain suggests your thoughts. I would add here that we're also told that in the same pasuk that Torah Hashem should be in your mouth. So, of course, this event should be in your thoughts. It should affect your 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 actions. It should affect your thoughts. It should affect your speech. Uh, the idea is, is that both body and soul, this is meant to define us. It's meant to define our later experiences. We take this experience with us in a very physical way, as well as in terms of its metaphysical importance. Uh, Others have suggested, and I think that this is an important suggestion as well, that uh, placing something on the arms and between the eyes symbolically recreates what we do with the blood on the houses. The arms and the head are the mashkof and the mezuzah, the lintel and the doorposts. And in fact, you know, even though we only... Put on one arm so it doesn't exactly accurately follow. I think this is a very nice idea in which the body uh, um, becomes the house just as the house was consecrated that night to uh, worship of God and became to some extent a place of kedushah, almost a mizbeach. We discussed this. The body also bears the same kind of potential. It can be a place of Kedusha. It can be a place that can. It can be something that is used, that is consecrated towards service of God. Now let's turn to our final section of this chapter, beginning in of this of this parsha, beginning in Parak Yud Gimel Pasuk Yud And it will be when God will take you to the land of the Kna'ani like he has promised to you and to your forefathers, and he will give it to you. Once again, we see that all of these mitzvot are predicated not just on exodus from Egypt, but also of uh, bringing us into the land and creating a nation that is autonomous in its land. This is part of the goal of the creation of Am Yisrael that begins with the exodus, but only really concludes when they enter the land. And you should set apart all firstborn that come out of the womb to God. And all firstling animal that emerges from the animal that belongs to you the male ones will be to god i think you you hear that that's a bit of a convoluted pasuk this is an idea that we already saw in pasuk bet of this chapter the Abarbanel a little bit talks about why the chapter interrupts the the mitzvah of the consecration of the buhor with a section that talks about uh, chametz and matzah but now we return to the mitzvah the important mitzvah that is that we've mentioned previously is is inherently connected to the story of the exodus we return to that mitzvah uh, of of uh, uh, consecrating every firstborn animal or um, uh, human to god yud gimel koh peter chamor tifte vese veim lotifte vaarafto koh b'chor adam b'vanecha tifdeh. We now have the mitzvot of redeeming certain animals. Certainly, um, uh, we only actually sacrifice firstborn animals and only firstborn animals that are pure, that are tahor. What do we do with impure animals? So here specifically, they single out the donkey and the firstborn donkey shall be redeemed with a sheep. And if you don't redeem it, you have to break its neck. And every firstborn person uh, every firstborn um person among your sons you shall redeem. Uh specifically this focus on the chamor on the uh on the redemption of the of the donkey with a sheep has been the source of a bit of discussion. So I'll just mention that the Ibn Ezra simply regards this as a um, symbol of any impure animal. He claims that they only really owned donkeys among impure animals. That's not necessarily what we see in, for example, Dever, uh, the plague of Dever. We see that there are other animals around. It's possible that the uh, Am Yisrael didn't own camels and horses, but that seems to be the claim of the, the Ibn Ezra. But in any case, the Ibanezra says here that the donkey is just um, what we're meant to do with any impure animal, and that is we're meant to break his neck. This is like the egla rufa, the anti-sacrifice, because we can't sacrifice it, so we break its neck. The barbanow picks up on an idea of Rashi. Rashi says that the reason that the Chamor here, that the donkey here, is singled out, is because we have this idea that the Bechor, that that the Egyptians are compared to Chamorim, to donkeys, and therefore the Bichure Mitzraim are compared to donkeys, and the Abarbanel suggests that we are meant to not uh, consecrate them to God, but rather to break them and replace them with a se with a sheep, which the Abarbanel says is a symbol of Amisrael. And so he sees great symbolic meaning in this particular pasuk, which commemorates not just the fact that we are meant to consecrate every firstborn to God, but also the way in which in Egypt, the firstborns in Egypt had to be, um, uh, were, were killed by God, whereas Am Yisrael was, were redeemed by God. And so that's how the uh, understands this particular mitzvah. In the context of commemorating Itziat Mitzrayim, Pasuk Yudalad, we once again turn to the children. This is the third time in this parsha. That we've turned to the children, um, and it will be when your when your child will ask you tomorrow, saying, "Mazot, what is this?" And you should say to him with a strong hand, "God took us out of Egypt from the house of slavery." And it was when Paro had hardened himself. From sending us out, uh, and God killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of humans to the firstborn of the animals. And therefore, I sacrifice to God every firstborn that comes out of the womb that is male and every firstborn among my sons I will redeem. The fact that we have uh, three different times in this parsha when we have this encounter with a child in which we're told that if the child asks us that we should answer in this way or even in pasukhet we saw that there should be a a voluntary aspect to our exchange with our children, even if our child does not ask us, you should tell him, it is well known because we commemorate this every year at the Seder that Chazal understand these different encounters between parents and children as um, having a pedagogical element to it. In other words, each child has a different way of collating information, of asking questions, And therefore, the Tanakh, the Torah, gives us different kinds of questions. We're going to see another uh, another question in Sefer Devarim, different kinds of questions in which uh, we are told to answer different kinds of answers. And this, of course, takes into account the need to address each child in their own context. So a child who doesn't ask, for example, we have to volunteer information. A child who asks very simply, Mazot, what's going on, we have to offer them a different kind of information. That's the way in which Chazal understands the repeated reference to the encounter between parent and child that emerges from the story. We've noted that the Abarbanel sees this as uh, representing different aspects of the story that we must pass down to our children. Each aspect of the story has to be passed down from generation to generation. I think that what's most significant here is noting how foundational this experience is for forming national con- consciousness that has to be passed down from generation to generation. We are being told in the story that every child must form his or her religious identity, his or her national identity, individual identity, identity as being part of a family through this story, and that all of these different aspects of the story must be passed down in order to ensure continuity from generation to generation of how this story defines and affects us as a nation and as individuals who want to join this nation. Let's turn to our final pasuk of this parsha, and with this, we will bring this year and our series on Parshat Bo to a close. Pasuktet. And this should be for you as a sign on your hand, and as totafot between your eyes. Here, instead of the word zikaron, as we had in pasuk tet, we have this. Very difficult word, totafot. It's a very difficult word to translate. We should put some sort of totafot between your eyes. For with a strong hand, God has taken us out of Egypt. This, again, we refer to God taking us out of Egypt. Even though, as you will see in the next uh, shiur, actually, parashat b'shalach begins with, it is Paro who sends the nation out of Egypt. We end Parshat Bo with this declaration that we must commemorate on a, on, on a daily basis and in a uh, inter, intergenerational um, context. This experience in which God has taken us out of Egypt and has shown the world his strength, his presence, his greatness, and his special relationship with Am Yisrael. I'll spend just a, a short um, minute on the word totafot, which has been translated in different ways. Is this a diadem? It is some sort of front-lit. Um, Chazal, of course, um, understand the tefillin uh, based on this. In Greek, this has been translated with the word phylactery which means some sort of safeguard or amulet. In any case, I think that the important point is what we said previously about um, about enlisting both our arms to action and between our eyes, which is the place of our mind, enlisting our thoughts and our actions in commemorating this event. And finally, I will conclude our parsha by referencing a wonderful Ramban, perhaps one of the famous Rambans in the Torah on this pasuk. That's your homework to go and to read this Ramban where he talks about uh, what an ot is, the purpose of otot, the purpose of signs, the purpose of miracles, the purpose of doing mitzvot, and of course the purpose of Am el in this world. So I think even though we don't have time to properly learn this Ramban, I think it's appropriate to end this parsha by referring you to that that very foundational Ramban. And that way, on Shabbat when you can when you're not listening to these shirim, you will be continuing to learn um, Parsha shavua. Finally, I will take this opportunity to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. And a bracha, that in the merit of having learned in such detail the parsha of gi'ulah, the parshat bow, may we all merit a gi'ulah shlema.